0: Thanks for joining me now let's dive deep hey guys welcome back to the show i'm here without kyle today but i am with nicole and jeremiah vernon i'm super excited to bring them to the show because Not only are they our local farmers, but they've also become our friends. We met them because we started buying their chicken and then quickly realized that they're just good stuff. So I'll tell you a little bit more about who they are. Vernon Family Farm is located on 33 conserved acres in Newfields, New Hampshire. These guys work hard to provide local communities with healthy, nutrient-dense food. They sell a variety of chicken, mushrooms, and veggies at their farm store, which is open all year around you guys you got to go check it out if you're local and at farmers markets and to local restaurants and grocers grocers so they definitely get their stuff out there they carry other local farm products to round out their farm store collection jeremiah vernon is a 10th generation new hampshire native he grew up in new london on his family farm and has always had a love for animals and the outdoors he earned a biology degree from bates college and then went on to work on a farm in turner maine where he fell in love with farming and his wife, Nicole. Nicole grew up in Syracuse, New uh, New York, and met Jeremiah while teaching Spanish at the Hyde School. She now teaches Spanish at Exeter High School. Nicole is passionate about language and culture, and they both are raising their children bilingually, just like Nicole was raised by her Polish parents. Nicole works the farm in the summer while watching their three daughters. So, you guys, thanks so much for being on the show.
1: Yeah, thanks for having us.
0: Thank you. I'm excited to talk chicken. Honestly, I think there's a lot of confusion around what healthy chicken entails. But before we get all into that, um, your backstories are so cool. So tell us a little bit more about how you came to own a farm.
2: Want me to start, Nicole? Yeah, sure. So, um, yeah, like you said, I grew up in New London, New Hampshire, and we sort of had a backyard farm operation. And as a kid, I was always prompting my parents to, you know, Invest in getting goats or pigs or sheep or whatever livestock I was interested in at the moment. And then um, after college, you know, I sort of was looking for a job, and a friend of mine was working on a dairy farm, and he was leaving his job, and he called me up to see if I'd be interested. And, I, and at that point, I had not had any formal farming experience, um, but I started working at that farm and immediately fell in love with it. It was outside every day, working with animals and and equipment and you got to use your brain and your hands and we sort of were and that's where I met Nicole and then she sort of fell in love with farming as a result and we were sort of pursuing that dream for the next seven years or so looking for the right place and the right time and then in 2014 we stumbled upon that opportunity I had been farming in between those years and teaching farming and we found the right place and here we are
1: yeah and it really did feel like the perfect place because we had been looking for farmland um, that was in the SAU 16 district where I work and um, when this little parcel of property came up for sale we were super excited.
0: And it's such a cool property too. It's just such a beautiful place and Newfields I'm not super familiar with Newfields outside of you guys but it's such a cool a cool and very pretty
1: town. It's adorable and um, we have you know, a great uh, customer base here in Newfields who like to support us and who are really uh, encouraging and very excited about some of the community movement that's happening at the farm and at the Newfields Country Store. It's a lot of fun. Yeah,
0: the community, we'll get to that later on because you guys are clearly carving out such a cool, a cool community vibe. Um, The last event that we went to, I forget what it was, but I mean, there was like, a hundred cars there or something it was insane it was like I, w- I walked in i was like oh this is a bona fide event like this is happening <laughs> you guys are like this is like you know it was super fun um anyway let's get into the chicken a little bit because i think that's what people want to hear about it's definitely what i want to want you guys to teach people about um we're so removed from our food source as a society, right? We walk into the grocery store and it's a very sterile environment. Um, I saw that movie Captain Fantastic last year and it's about a dad who raises his kids in the forest of the Pacific Northwest. So most of the movie is set in this like, lush, nature-rich environment, And then the family gets sort of thrust into society. And there's this one scene where they go into the grocery store. And that is not how they're used to procuring their food. Um, And it's the juxtaposition of the two scenes is so cool because you see so clearly the unnaturalness of the supermarket. And it's like jarring. It's these bright lights and hard, clean lines. And it's almost like this fruitless environment, which is kind of weird to say because fruit is literally available to you at all times all year round. Like we can buy apples in March and broccoli in December and we can get these squeaky clean white chicken breasts without any thought to the rest of the chicken. Like we're never asking like, what happened to the head or the feet? What happened to the bones or the thighs? Like we don't have to put much if any thought into the where our food comes from and who grew it. And I think it's fair to say that food is something that we take advantage of or take for granted at the very least um chicken breast is like america's sweetheart protein um especially for the dieter and those of us stuck in like the 80s and 90s rhetoric of fat is bad chicken skin is bad dark meat is bad but we also have this new wave of thought coming in and consumers are starting to pay attention to food source and food quality and this is definitely something that i try to bring to the forefront with the work that i do but Even with that, I I notice a lot of confusion, especially about chicken. People think that they can walk into a supermarket, buy organic chicken, and that's sort of like the best of the best. So... Um, I don't believe that's the case, so I'd love for you guys to walk us through the process of raising chickens for food, because I think this will shine a light on what makes good chicken, and also touch upon what some of the labels mean, too, because I know people have a lot of questions about that. Free range, pastured, non-GMO, air chilled, all that good stuff.
2: Sure, yeah. So um, a little background, we, we were leasing Farmland for about a year and a half working at um, a local farm and I, w- I was running their farmers markets for them and I sort of had this realization over my tenure with them that there was no one producing chicken um, how people usually consume chicken so you mentioned boneless breast, um, and you know, that is one of the most popular cuts of meat that we sell and no one was providing that at the farmers market so that was sort of our initial uh, market exam- uh, you know, examination and discovery and so we started raising chickens in, uh, what year did we start Nicole?
1: So two years before we bought... So 2012? Yeah 2012.
2: And in 2012 we did about um, just 1,200 chickens and we uh, processed those birds um, USDA inspected so that we could sell them at some of the bigger markets in Portsmouth and Manchester and the local restaurants and now we're up to a few thousand a year and we made the decision that our chickens needed to be provided with as natural uh... an upbringing as possible so our chickens are inside for the first three weeks of their life until they have enough feathers to go outside and then they go outside for the remainder of their life and they're we grow them in sort of the the principle is based off of um... joel salatin's chicken tractor design we've tweaked it to our own uh... our own liking so we've used bigger tractors and we fit about 250 chickens in each tractor, and they are out in the field with open bottoms, and they're able to forage on whatever crops we have in the field, whatever insects they stumble upon, they're in the sun, uh, they have shelter from the rain, and you know, for all intents and purposes, our chickens are living outdoors the way they were intended to be, uh, intended to be raised. And so the terms that we use to de- define our chicken uh, our chicken is USDA inspected, which means we process our chickens at a USDA inspected plant in Maine. We need that inspection stamp for to sell, like I said, at the local farmers markets and the restaurants. We also cross state boundaries, and you can't sell your product across state boundaries unless it's USDA inspected. Our chicken is also Halal certified. Um, the slaughterhouse is run by uh, or are operated by Somali refugees and. They naturally practice um, Halal processing. So that certification is put on there and that allows us to sell chicken to different ethnic groups in the area. Um, Most of those ethnic groups come out of Boston. So that's an area we're looking to grow into. Um, Our chicken is currently fresh only in the summer, not frozen. And then in the winter it is frozen and not fresh, but that'll be changing when we change to year round production. We used to do a certified organic grain. The cost of that grain and the availability was limited. So we switched to a non-GMO grain and that has proved to be an excellent decision for us the chickens love that feed It comes from Green Mountain feeds in Vermont and I think it's important that the birds eat a non-GMO based grain it's impossible to raise your chickens grain free they need that high protein content in order to uh, grow and put on a good body and good carcass so like I said we pasture our birds and I think the exposure to the Sun and the diverse diet they get from being out in the field is very important to really rounding out that quality flavor And then the last thing we do is they're air chilled as part of the processing. So when birds are processed at a USDA facility, they may go into what's called a bleach bath, which is this sort of slurry of ice, bleach water in chickens. And as you can imagine, you would prefer not to have your meat soaked in bleach. And the chicken actually does absorb some of the water and some of the moisture and some of the bleach it can cause for slimy skin and if there is a bird that's contaminated with some sort of salmonella it's now in contact with all those other birds. So we do not do that, we do what's called air chilling. The birds are put in front of these blast chillers that just blow cold air over them and cool the carcass down very quickly. It's a much drier process, the birds don't touch each other so you get a crispier skin when you cook it. You're not paying for absorbed water weight um, and so you're just paying for the protein. And we also are antibiotic and growth hormone free. So we've, we focus a lot on providing our birds with a healthy environment, clean bedding every day, clean water every day, and clean feed every day. And as a result, we've never had to administer any antibiotics to our flock. And like I said, we've done thousands of birds at this point. So those are the labels that we use for our chicken. Um, I think those labels can be misinterpreted and used to people's advantage, especially when you get into big ag. And I think ultimately what it comes down to is talking to your local producer about how they use those terms and how they define their production standards with those terms.
0: Okay, so I have so many follow-up questions. <laughs> um, first, let's start with the last, the last place that you, that you touched upon, um, if you are so you know, obviously, if you're local, just buy chicken from Vernanda. But if you if folks are listening who are not local, and can't access your chicken, what are the, the the questions? I think people feel really uncomfortable talking or like asking these questions, or they feel like they're they're being a nuisance, or they're not really sure the questions to ask. Um, so if you could say like the top three questions to ask a chicken farmer, what would they be?
2: Well, um, In my opinion, the the most important things a bird needs is they need to be out at pasture, and that's not just access to the outdoors, they need to be out on something green, they need to be out on fresh green, they need to be moved. So having a bird that's on pasture means a bird's going to be outside in the sun and eating a diverse diet. And I think that is probably the most important, in my opinion, the most important decision or question to ask. And the next would be what are they eating, which, you know, we've made the decision that a non-GMO grain is where what our chickens should be eating and I think those two questions are the most important and uh, if I could add a third one it would be the air chilling I think those three in general you're gonna find yourself eating a higher quality piece of meat than you would otherwise
0: and can you explain a little bit the difference between free-range and pastured because you know you could go to Trader Joe's and get and get chicken that's labeled free-range but what is that what does that mean and how does it compare to pasture-raised
2: to be honest with you, I don't know how the USDA defines the term free range. All these all these labels, if you want to look, you can look on the USDA's website, and they will define what that means. The problem is there now are these other independent agencies that will do these certifications, and they might have much looser requirements than the USDA. So you should check your packaging to make sure you know it's USDA inspected or USDA certified, um, because that pro those programs are guaranteed by the government. Um. sorry what awesome nope
0: that was that was that that was helpful Um, I think from my understanding of it and things could certainly have changed but free range just kind of denotes that they have access to the outdoors but not necessarily that they actually are outdoors if that if that makes any sense
2: yeah it does and I would also add that you know our chickens for example they're in contained you know, mobile coops. So I don't use the word free range because our chickens aren't free range. They don't have access to anywhere at all times. They have a main limited amount of space that they can access for that given moment. And then we move them onto fresh forage every day. And I think, you know, from a management perspective, that's much better for us. You know, we have management of each individual chicken tractor so we can fertilize appropriately our fields. You know, you need protection from predators. You can't have hawks and foxes picking off your flock. So you know i i always define our chickens as pasture not free range for that reason
0: cool that's super helpful and then the the bleach bath like what that makes me want to die what, I know. It, what I... is up with that is that is it just inexpensive or you know why do they do that
2: well so the, the what the goal is this you're trying to get the bird down below 40 degrees within a certain period of time from its initial like initial killing so the bird needs to get below forty degrees from the from the moment it's alive to the moment it's able to be butchered. And you have to the faster you do that process, the more you're gonna arrest any bacterial development. And salmonella being the one that we all hear about. So you know, the, the motivation is to get the bird cold very quickly and the bleach is added as a safeguard for Salmonella. And I agree, I, I it, I think we'd all be horrified if we found out all the extra ingredients that are put into our food that we don't know about. But bleach is definitely not something the average person I think would want to be eating. And the air chilling is is a relatively simple process. It's just, uh, it, just it does require more energy, you know, a lot of electricity to run the units. But, you know, it's a much cleaner way and healthier way of treating your birds.
0: I've done some um, research on bleach exposure, not consuming it, just cleaning with it and it's um like pretty not great in how it kills off bacteria i mean we need bacteria and microbes to thrive we need them on and in our person and so when we're constantly killing them off with antibiotics and bleach and hand sanitizers and all that good stuff um it really impacts our our microbiome the, the the bacteria that live on us and therefore our health so It's just crazy that we're consuming this stuff through our food. I mean, not only are we getting like a hit of antibiotics and hormones, but we're also getting bleach when we eat conventional chicken. It's just bananas. Like people don't really know that.
2: I agree. And, you know, the other thing is too, you know, if you're going to be spending your money on a high quality product like, you know, our our local chicken, you're, you're going to be spending most likely a premium for that product. You don't want to be paying for bleach water weight. You want to be paying for quality edible food. And, you know, the, the birds do absorb that bleach water when they go in those baths.
0: Yeah, that's, that's such a good point about, um, cost, which kind of leads me to, to my next question. Um, first, I just want to touch upon one more thing that you said about the non-GMO grain, because, um, I've had some people ask about just straight up grain-free chickens, and I know that it. You know, it's done in some places, but the the price you pay per bird is insane. I think it's like fifty dollars a bird, and obviously that is that's cost prohibitive for most people. Um
2: Yeah, I mean to give you an idea, we sell our broilers for five dollars a pound and average a four pound broiler. So it's twenty dollars to buy a broiler. And, you know, five dollars a pound compared to a market basket price or from one of the local, you know, grocers is you know, it's <laughs> substantially more. I don't. I mean, I would say it's probably three times more than what you'd pay at the store.
0: Yeah, and I think that's why sometimes or often folks will balk at the cost of properly raised chicken. Why would you spend twenty, twenty-five dollars on a broiler on a bird when you can get a fully cooked rotisserie chicken at Market Basket for like six bucks? Right. My thought is never why is this food so expensive because. I mean, as you just talked about, it takes a lot of resources to properly raise a chicken for minimal meat. You know, birds are not not large animals. But why is other chickens so cheap, I think, is is more of the question we should start to ask ourselves. Um, and I'm not going to get into the, the ethics of conventional chicken here. All you need to do is go Google CAFO chicken, and you can see some pictures. And I know people don't want to do that. But I also feel like you can't just check out of your food system food is it's it's information. It's not just nutrition. It's telling your body a lot about the environment. And it's changing your genes like literally affecting how your genes are expressed. So it's not something you just want to turn a blind eye to because it makes you uncomfortable. And if I'm going to put my nutritionist hat on for a moment, just So listeners have this information. There is a difference in the nutrition of chickens raised conventionally versus chickens allowed to pasture, which is what you guys are talking about. Um, Our bodies depend on a balance of essential fatty acids. The ideal ratio of omega-3 to omega-6 is one to one. That's for optimal brain health, but also overall health. Um, but we get so many omega-6 fats in our standard American diet and not nearly enough omega-3s. And this ratio ratio is actually more like 1 to 20. So it's supposed to be ideally, right, 1 to 1. And it's more like 1 to 20. Some estimate even higher than that. So this puts us in a very pro-inflammatory state. And some of the work that I do with my clients is trying to get them to tip the balance in the other direction so I think it's important to know that conventionally raised chickens have a higher omega-6 content, which is not at all what we're looking for. In fact, it's what we're trying to avoid. And the reason that pastured chickens have a higher omega-3 content is because they're allowed to to peck at grass, they're allowed to peck at grubs, and I mean, Jeremiah, you can certainly talk to the, the terminology a lot better than I can, but they're foraging, they're allowed to eat stuff. Um, that provides their meat and, and even their eggs with with a higher um, with higher nutrition. So, on top of that, um, as I had mentioned earlier, conventional birds are exposed to antibiotics, and then we get those antibiotics through the meat we eat. And I have spoken briefly about antibiotics in the show before it's a major major problem and then when you're also consuming hormones like those hormones affect our bodies and they can really speak to our whole endocrine system so these aren't things to take lightly these aren't things that we just consume and we're like yeah it'll it'll work itself out in there like that's not what's happening so when it comes to chicken it really is a situation where you get what you pay for so yes your birds might be more expensive than market basket birds but there's a reason for it and there's a reason to support that and personally i when i let's say i i buy a broiler i take that home i roast it so we eat roasted chicken one night and then i pick it over i take the carcass and i put it in my instant pot or put it in a slow cooker and make broth and then the next day we get to have soup with the leftover meat in the bone broth And then the following night, I usually, like, add something to that soup. So we're eating, we're taking this broiler, and granted, I'm a a small family of three, but we're stretching that over three days' worth of meals or three nights' worth of meals. So when you break it down like that, it really doesn't seem as expensive. Do you guys have any kind of, like, tips and tricks on how to eat get the most out of a chicken?
1: Yeah, so um, to be honest, we do, our family does the same. We have a family of five, and we'll um, put a roaster into the oven, have that for dinner with some vegetables or something like that. And then the next day, we're picking the chicken off the carcass, making soup as well. Um, and I do that um, pretty regularly. I mean, I feel like being chicken farmers, you might think that we get sick of eating chicken, <laughs> but we really do eat chicken uh, on a weekly basis. And we'll probably prepare a A broiler or a roaster um, a whole bird probably like once every nine days just because it's really convenient Um, there's days yeah it's it's really good and like I said it it really is also like convenient like yes it will take a little bit more time perhaps to cook a chicken and then break it down but um, I do this because it helps me just kind of plan for the week and have like a healthy protein that's available in their fridge for our family um, so that I can be putting it into lunches or I can make chicken salad or chicken fajitas. I feel like our family really does eat a lot of like different Mexican options with the chicken on day two or day three. And then of course using all the bones to um, cook down and make some broth. Um, That's the best way in my opinion to use a whole bird. Um, But then if you're looking for other options, you know, we do have other cuts of meat. Um, we do sell bones. People can buy bones and backs to make their own broth if they don't want to buy the whole chicken um, If you're looking for something that's going to take a little bit less time you can always buy a Bone-in or boneless breast. So we have a lot of options And I think that's something that Jeremiah has done really well You know, he found the niche when he was um, working we were working um, with another farm and we started um, raising chickens. We really tried to make sure that we raised chickens in a way where we were able to use the whole bird and sell the whole bird. So, not only do we sell like the physical broiler, but then we have the chickens cut up into different parts. We sell feet, we sell organ meat. Um, so, I think um, you know, there's definitely a lot of different options if you feel like spending $30 or $25 for broilers too much there's other things that you can get and other good products that are worth your money and your chicken sausage is like lights out
0: <laughs> it's like the best stuff I've ever ever had it's so so good um you just mentioned organ meat and I'm gonna I, I want to ask you If you guys consume that, because we just did a podcast on eating organ meat last, last week. So if you have any additional tips or tricks on how to get that stuff into your, into your pie hole or your kids pie holes, do you guys eat that at all or no?
2: Not really. I like, um, you know, liver pate, but we never seem to have the time to make pate. (laughs) Um, but no, we don't eat it very much. The one product we do eat quite a bit is the chicken skin. So when we do like a boneless, skinless breast, we save those skins and they are excellent. They're like bacon. You can fry them up and put them on a burger or on top of your eggs in the morning. So we've done that. But we don't usually do much cooking with the liver and the hearts.
0: Um, Speaking of skin, we just made your chicken thighs tonight and... I'm a sucker for crispy skin, and clearly so is Hattie because that's all she was eating. She stole the skin off of all the thighs. <laughs> <laughs> it is so good. All right, so you mentioned not having time. So let's jump into that. Um, you guys are, are busy by anyone's standards, clearly. You own a working farm. Nicole has a full-time job. On top of that, you're constantly at farmer's markets and hosting community events, and you have three three girls under the age of five. Under the age of five, right? Yeah. Yeah, yep. In, that's completely insane. Um a big concern I hear from parents and families is that we don't have time to eat healthy. Eating real food feels like a lot of extra time and effort, so takeout and packaged foods tend to be the fuel that sort of drives our busy culture. But having said that, you've opened up the door to your home via your Instagram Instagram account. So everybody go follow Vernon Family Farm because Nicole's doing some Cool things, um, just kind of like behind the scenes stuff that's that's really informative, and you're clearly feeding your your kiddos whole real food. So how do you make real food a priority when you don't have all the time in the world? Like, do you have any tips for busy parents who might be listening that are struggling to find the time to do this, and kind of just like talk about your general food philosophy when it comes to to feeding
1: your kids? So. Um... I think I'll speak for Jeremiah and for myself, but you know we grew up in in families and in homes where parents always made food from scratch. Um, so that's just kind of been like in our genes. Uh, we're not really the types of people to eat like to take out food, to buy a lot of takeout food, to buy a lot of pre-made packaged food. Um, that's not to say we don't. I mean we we do every once in a while. I don't want to sound perfect. We de- we definitely do, but. Um, We value healthy food and we value whole food Um, and so we just make it a priority. Yes, it might take more time, but um, Usually on the weekends, I will take like a chunk of my Sunday to prepare food I like to you you asked about like some tips So what I like to do and what I find to be really helpful for our family is to make um, some like one ingredient prepped foods so for me that means like hard-boiling a dozen eggs, um, preparing a chicken and um, shredding it, um, perhaps making some sort of like easy soup, like we we make a lot of like lentil soups or chicken soups or like a chicken chili or a beef chili in the crock pot, um, maybe making coleslaw of some sort. And so I have like those meals or those dishes already prepped so that they're, Easy to eat in the evening if we just like don't have time to make what we were planning to make, or they're easy to put into a lunchbox for our girls and for ourselves during the during the day.
2: And I would say too, this is a sort of a moving target as our kids get older and eat more, but we always try to make extra. Yeah. And then that extra is always easily used the following day. So if we're cooking chicken, we pull the chicken and make chicken sandwiches the next day. If we're cooking pork chops, we cook three extra and then we make pork fried rice the next night. I think you know if you can take some of the you know more dense aspects of your dinner and cook them once, and not have to cook them twice. It's going to save you quite a bit of time.
0: Yeah, that's actually a really phenomenal idea. Cook once, eat twice. Um sense.
1: <laughs> I like that Jeremiah. Yeah, that's yeah.
0: that's really good. <laughs> um, all right, cool. And so it's kind of it's kind of interesting that both of you guys came from these these families that just made food from scratch because kind of not the norm anymore but it just goes to show that leading by example really has some profound long-term effects because now you're raising your families in a very similar or your family in a very very similar fashion and I think kids just kind of like look to what mom and dad are eating too um we I've said this on the show before there's in my house there's no division of like kid food from adult food it's just like food is food so that's what's on the table and like you can kind of take it or leave it but this is you know this is what food is so I feel like the more um, the more you do that, the better.
1: Yeah, and we've had a similar similar philosophy, and we've been really blessed because, for the most part, our girls have not been very picky. Um, you know, we have friends who have really picky eaters, and I could see that being very frustrating. Um, but for us, I mean, Magnolia and Indigo are both really great eaters. Indigo has been a little, or Pingree, our youngest, has been a little pickier than the other two. But um, yeah, in general, it's been it's nice to feed people who are not really. <laughs> picky You're selective about what they're eating. They just kind of go with the flow and eat what we prepare. Yeah. And, oh, sorry. Go
2: ahead. Oh, I was gonna say, and Aaron, I, you know, one thing is about it, like sort of efficiency with cooking with Whole Foods. I, I mean, I think like most people, we have a set of recipes that we know that our family likes that are easy to do right. that require no thought. So, you know, if we're gonna do ground chicken tacos, you know, we don't. That's you know, you cook a one pound of chicken in the pan, cut up some veggies, and you have tacos and it's simple it's quick it's easy and it requires no thought on our end
0: I like it so prep ahead Um, I think these are like the three takeaways prep ahead Um, cook once eat twice make extra food and then have like staple tried-and-true recipes that you know everybody's gonna eat
2: yeah I would say you know on average we don't plan this this way but you know on average once a week we make something we've never made before or we don't make often but you know it's really a standard rotation of whatever a dozen recipes that we sort of work our way through.
0: Awesome. I think that's really helpful for people to hear. So we're talking about kind of kids with this whole kid kid feeding thing. So let's stick to that topic because there's one thing I really want to pick your pick your brains about. Um one thing that I'll I'll talk about in lectures is is this idea of the hygiene hypothesis and it's it's the thought that kids are growing up in an environment that's too clean, too sterile. We're not exposed to enough microbes to prime our immune system and so we're we're getting sick. And we we all kind of collectively are getting sick. Chronic disease is the new normal. Even even for children and it really bums me out to say that, but it's the truth. One out of 2 Americans has a chronic disease as it stands right now. That that number is steadily climbing and a third of children in America have a chronic disease. So this is anything like Asthma, allergies, food sensitivities, eczema, headaches, acid reflux, behavioral issues, sleep issues—these are all commonplace in today's kiddos, and they're they're so common that they've that we just just kind of consider them normal. Um, but they're very much so not normal. Um, so we have to start to question and unpack, like, what the heck is going on here? One interesting study that I came across looked at urban kids versus farm kids. So kids that were raised in a seemingly sterile environment. So they were exposed to bleach and sanitizers and all that. And then they looked at kids that were raised on a farm. And the kids that grew up on a farm were less likely to get sick, less likely to have asthma, less likely to have allergies, less likely to get the flu, all of that. So your three girls clearly live on a farm. So I'm curious to see if if you've seen that play out in in your own three kids, um, or if you have any thoughts on parenting, like dirt, microbes, outdoor play, anything like that, I mean, Hattie, my daughter, has definitely played with with your three girls, and it's just awesome that they just get to like bomb around the farm and get dirty. I love it.
2: Yeah, so do we. <laughs> it's awesome. Um, you know, I will say I don't know if I can really talk to you whether or not they get sick less or more. I will say that the farm has provided with our daughters with the opportunity to you know very freely explore their outside world and we've decided to take the approach that as a generalization the benefits greatly outweigh the costs. so you know we have you know obviously a lot of chickens on the farm in the summer and our daughters participate in the process so they'll be in the chicken coop with you know the one day old baby chickens when they arrive and we're not we're not in there hovering over them they sort of do their own thing so i'm sure they get chicken poop on them and in them and everything else and you know we've decided that for them to be able to have the experience of holding these baby birds and understanding the life that those birds lead and how that participates in our life is well worth the cost um and we've never uh, you know obviously we've never seen anything dramatic our our, our daughters seem to suffer from the same colds that everybody else gets at school and you know so that's I think that's much of it directly answers your question but that's sort of the decisions we've made and it's amazing to watch them go outside and come back with hands full you know a handful of worms and they don't know any different (laughs) that's just what they do
0: yeah that's that's so cool and it's almost antithetical to what I was saying at the start of the show about how we've we've lost connection we're so out of touch with our food source because because those girls are like right up in it I'm curious how you speak to them about sort of about the the animals life cycle and and all that
1: We're pretty direct and honest with them. Honestly. I mean the girls are around Jeremiah when um, We're loading up the chickens to be processed and we don't really keep any secrets from them They ask where they're going and we say that they're gonna go get processed that they're going to the slaughterhouse and they're like all right and then when the chickens come back they're like okay we're gonna eat the chickens so they're
2: I don't think they've ever thought otherwise yeah
1: um there was a really interesting so I just want to share like a little story that happened today when I was driving home with uh, Magnolia and Indigo they uh, go to the Montessori school and they have a fruit share so every day we're supposed to bring like a piece of fruit or vegetable um, to share with the class and Magnolia had mentioned something about like wanting to bring some vegetables and I I said something like, "Well, maybe we can bring like maybe we can bring some carrots or something." And her response was, "Well, we can't bring carrots anymore because carrots aren't in season." And I just thought it was so so first of all, so adorable. I was like, "Oh my gosh, my daughter knows when carrots are in season, but really just so in tune to the fact that she is a farm girl who knows when Uh, vegetables are in season and who knows her food pretty well and not somebody who is used to just seeing food the same food always at the grocery store whether it was grown here or not here or from you know Mexico so um, I think just kind of bringing back the point of like how we talk to the girls about food and about farming um, we try to just keep a really open dialogue and being as direct and honest about about what happens so that they're, um, smart and educated.
0: That is so awesome. Um, I don't mean to harp on this whole chronic disease thing, but it's definitely a passion point of mine. So I, I research it a lot. Um, and one of the issues is that we're sort of out of sync with the stimulus that our genes have come to expect. So, you know, we, we evolved in nature, right? Um, quite, you know, quite literally. So, we've we've moved so far be like so far past that we're we're never outside anymore we're inside we're exposed to artificial lighting we're just we're not in touch with nature anymore and you guys are kind of like pulling it all back full circle and it's it's just so awesome awesome to see I'm like now now I need to move to a, move to a farm <laughs> like, next you can do it in your
2: backyard you don't have to go crazy and buy a farm
0: yeah yeah maybe I can start with a garden maybe I can grow yeah. some tomatoes and start there yeah um all right so you guys obviously place a high value on community you have this farm store that i was talking about and and you carry what i think is so cool it's not just your stuff but you bring in different goods from different farms so you're you're supporting other farmers as well it's just just so nice to see um you host community events at your place all the time it it just feels like you're you're constantly mixing it up with the local community so to close all of this out, why is community so important to you guys?
1: Well, it takes a village, um, first and foremost. It really takes a village to make something like us a, a local farm work and a family farm work. Um, so we try to make sure that we invite the community to benefit from our land. Um, we wanna share what it is that we do here. Um, and we try to do that through a number of different events. Um, you know, we are, we try to attract a different, you know, different types of customers, whether we have yoga Monday evenings at the farm, um, whether we have uh, kid friendly, family friendly events, whether we have um, like new fields only types of events, we try to encourage as many people to come onto the farm as possible so that they can experience how magical this place is um, and that they can start to build a relationship with who it is that's growing their food. Um, so we, Jeremiah, did you want to jump in? Yeah,
2: I mean, I was, you know, I think first off, Nicole and I are naturally social people, so we like having people around. But I would also say that I think, I think in this day and age where convenience is becoming, uh, for some people, I think the utmost concern, and, you know, you have Hannaford's to go, and Stop and Shop's got their Peapod delivery service, and you know, you can get, I mean, Whole Foods will be delivering uh, their food via drones here at some point, I'm sure. Um, I think convenience is going to be a hard battle to win. So we try to do that with having a diverse amount of products. But community and community feel and authenticity to a place is something that can't be replicated or can't be replicated easily. Right. And I think ultimately what we're trying to do is build this sense of authenticity and uniqueness and organicness around, your food and how you go shopping, and I we hope that when you come here, you see, you see the the trueness of your food and how it, how it got to where it is, and that you can feel connected to that in a way that is not you know replicable at Whole Foods um, or via delivery food service or however it is you you know which I don't which I understand how white people do it's incredibly convenient, but I just don't think that culture is something that can be created via convenience that's something that's unique to a place
0: that is so i mean like that's like mic drop okay we can just end the show now um but that's i mean so true and you guys are are hitting it out of the park because that's exactly the vibe when you when you step onto your land like that is the vibe that is conveyed so you guys are you guys are doing it um I'm going to, since we're airing this right before the holidays, I just want to shout out the farm store one last time because it's such a great place to go if you have to go to holiday parties. There's um, grass-fed cheese. There's awesome, like, hostess gifts. Um, you guys carry spices from Stock and Spice. There's honey there. There's um, salami. What do you guys call the salami? It's something else, isn't it?
1: So we have, um, we carry short creeks, farms, uh, pepperoni, um, Sweet
2: Soprasada, that's it. Finocchiona.
1: yeah. And yep. those are those are awesome products to cut up and put on a cheese board or on like a charcuterie board. Um,
2: we have gift cards for the holidays. All we make it very convenient for you.
0: <laughs> yeah, and the, you're open all the time. Every single time I drive by, if the signs up, like every single time, I'm like, oh my god, perfect. <laughs> you know. Um, and what's the address to
1: to uh, your the farm store and obviously the farm? Yeah, so the address of the farm store is 301 Piscassic Road.
2: And Piscassic Road is also Route
1: 87. And that's in Newfields, New Hampshire. And it's pretty easy to get to.
0: Like, I feel like you guys are kind of centrally located. And I I mean, I say that because I live in Nottingham. So, compared to me, you are centrally located. You are right in the hub of New
1: Hampshire. Yeah. yeah, we are though. We are we are in the hub of New Hampshire. That's right. <laughs> I like how you said that. All right.
0: So before before we close out, are, are there any upcoming events that you guys want to tell our listeners about?
1: Yeah, sure. So um, we list all of our events um, and cool things happening at the farm, both uh, on our website and also via our Facebook page, our Facebook business page. Um, January seventh is a Sunday from four to seven p.m. We are going to be hosting the second annual. Newfield's Christmas bonfire. Um, That's going to be a lot of fun. It's going to be full of like hanging out by the the bonfire, watching Christmas trees burn. Um, We'll have coffee and hot chocolate um, provided by the Newfield's Country Store. And they will also be cooking up a fantastic chicken chili for us that we'll be serving. Farm store will be open um, if people want to sled. um, They can go sledding if we have snow. And so it's just like a nice, really relaxed community feel event. Um, convenient for you to be able to bring your Christmas tree, but also to kind of just spark some community after the holidays. Um, so that's the event that's coming up that is in our nearest future. And um, we'll have some other fun events coming up, um, but we'll be posting those as we um, move forward.
2: And you can find all those on our website. We host a, uh, you know, a farm to table dinner out in the field where uh, you can, you know, buy a ticket and come and sit and eat some great food with great people and live music. We do a pumpkin chucking toss in the, in the fall, and we have fire and ice events where we have fire dancers and rotisserie chicken. So there's all sorts of ways to eat good food and meet, uh, meet some good people.
0: Awesome. I'm definitely looking forward to that to that Christmas tree burning event. That sounds like a lot of fun. So I will be there and I hope to see some of you guys there as well. Um, All right, so thanks so much for for coming on the show, you guys. That was awesome and I know know people really, really appreciate
1: hearing all about the chicken biz. Yeah, awesome. (laughs) Well, thanks so much for having us. Thank you very much, Erin.
0: Thanks for joining me for this episode of the Functional Nutrition Podcast. If you'd like to submit a question to the show, fill out the contact form at erinholthealth.com. If you got something from today's show, don't forget, subscribe, leave a review, share with a friend, and keep coming back for more. Take care of you. All right, bye. See you guys soon. Sounds good.
2: Talk to you later.